This is Anabaptist Perspectives. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Uh, we're here again with Alan Roth down here in Athens, Tennessee. It's great to have you down in the area. I think last time I had done some interviews with you was up in Brooklyn, where you're from. So yeah, why don't you take a minute just to introduce yourself and um, some of the things that are relevant to the topic today. Okay. So we're talking about why some church plants falter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, in our experience in church planting in Central America, there was one area where we worked at planting a church and it flopped. It didn't go. And then in New York, while working at planting the English-speaking church there, we tried also planting a Spanish-speaking church at the same time. And it eventually withered up and died. And then during our time in New York, there was a period in which I was mentoring a church plant in another part of the country. The couple had moved there. They were waiting for another couple to join them. And by the time before the other couple could get there, they decided to call it quits and go back home, which was sad because they were just beginning to get into the community. I'm not speaking, thankfully, from a vast experience of uh, church plants faltering. We have been involved in in four church plants. So if you take three out of seven, it's not real good, but at least four out of seven are still functioning, for which we are very grateful and give uh, credit to God. If you would like to do some more reading on this topic, there's a little book called 10 Mistakes Church, 10 Common Mistakes Church Planters Make. And that's a helpful little book. I was asked one time to ask why church plants falter, and I was just going to use their 10 reasons why, and I just said, you know what? I can make up my own list. So I did. And that's where I'm coming from for this encounter today. Mm -hmm. So before we dive too deep in, what exactly do you mean when you say a church plant falters? Mm -hmm. What does that entail? Well, what I'm thinking about here is that uh, an attempt, a bona fide attempt, is made at planting a new church. People have uh, begun the journey of getting another church started. Uh, They may have not gotten any believers yet, or they may have gotten some, and then something happens and the project folds and no church plant happens. Now, I'm not talking about situations like we have in the book of Acts, where churches were planted at Smyrna and Philadelphia and Thyatira and Laodicea. And then in Revelation, they're being admonished that if they don't repent, he'll spew them out of his mouth. And of course, we know those churches did die. They no longer exist in present-day Turkey. So I'm not talking about that kind of setting. I'm talking about where the initial stage of a church plant has begun, and it's for some reason or other, it folds, it discontinues, and doesn't go forward. So when we look at a church plant that's faltering, what are some early indicators Mm -hmm. of this problem? Maybe some symptoms we could be looking for. Mm -hmm. One, I would say, is a lack of clarity about why they are there and what they're about what they intend to accomplish. Uh, If they're merely there to do good, to be salt and light, that's good, but it's not a sharp enough focus, in my opinion, for a church to get planted. They need to know why they're there, and when they're asked, they should tell people 
we are here to plant a church. That's why we moved here. Not only do people need to know why they're there, they themselves need to remind themselves over and over again. Because that early stage can be very discouraging, especially if you use the model where you're starting from scratch. In contrast to the swarm model, the swarm model being where you take six to 10 or 15 families and you move and presto, you have a new church there. That's one model and it's okay because it helps to move, spread the salt around. But especially in the start from scratch model where you have maybe two couples or three couples or a single and you go and you're starting right from square one to win the lost people and that's the only way you're going to get that church going. And so that first season can be very lonely. Another indication can be people talking about hankering for home or doing a lot of their shopping back home or spending a lot of their time away on special occasions like Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. They're gone from their adopted community, away from new believers. That can be an indication as well. Another one can be if the church planters for their growth are depending upon attracting believers from other church backgrounds rather than primarily focusing on befriending and winning unsaved local people to Christ. To me, that's a warning sign because they're depending on the work that other churches have done in order to get the church started. I would be cautious about that as well. Another one could be uh, the lack of significant local relationships. Like if you ask the men who are on that church planning team, do you have any uh, buddies here that you've gotten here locally that you hang out with to drink coffee or go fishing? Well, no, not yet. The longer that goes, the more of a warning sign that becomes. Or if the men have started making relationships, but the ladies don't have any significant relationship with local women. Because what happens is the loneliness sets in, and then it's very easy to think of going back home because I don't know anybody here anyway. But the more you begin to build relationships locally, then the less likely it is for the church planners to say, well, let's just go back home. Because these are my friends. These are my brothers and sisters. This is home. So, or if you hear the church planners constantly or frequently saying, now back home, doesn't so. Back home is always better than here locally. I would say that's an early indicator. They're not connecting locally. They're not seeing where they are as being home. When, uh, when people ask them, so why did you move here? What do they say? What's the answer? That could be an early indicator as well, too. Those are a few thoughts that came to mind on that question. So this is very a, a close follow-up to that. So you're talking early indicators. But then what do you see as some primary causes then when this thing actually starts faltering? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something off that list you already gave. But yeah, common causes here. Probably at the top of the list, I would put a lack of a clear vision, clarity of vision. So the church planners that are going there, what are they aiming for? Do they know? Do they agree? How did they come to the sense of being called there? 
Is it just, well, did somebody talk them into it and then we're just going to try for a while? That's probably not going to be sufficient to keep them the long haul. Um, another one can be disunity within the team. That can be very, very painful. And the inability to pray and talk through it. If those on the team cannot talk openly together and respectfully without the temperatures rising too high about differences, if there's not even scheduled times regularly to meet together to discuss how we're doing, you know it's a pressure cooking that's just waiting to blow up. You've got to have times regularly built into your calendar that you are going to get together to talk about how you're doing, what you're thinking, and what you're aiming for. I would say, too, that another cause can be underestimating the cost that it is to to get a church plant going. It takes total commitment. It takes a clarity of vision. Clear enough and committed enough that you will be able to say no to some very good things pulling you back home or back to your relatives wherever. You'll have to say no to some things. You can't run around to everything. It's sort of like a, being a dairy farmer. You can't just go to all the weddings and all the funerals and all the reunions and all the Tupperware parties or whatever, the plexus parties, if they do parties for plexus. But... You have to say no to some things. And that is extremely difficult, especially if your relatives live just the next state over or a day's drive away. That's hard. I would say to uh, underestimating the spiritual opposition that we're going to experience, Satan is going to oppose the effort because planting churches gives him more headaches, more work, and takes away some of his citizens. So if he can eliminate the church planning team, he just saved himself a whole lot of bother. The spiritual opposition, the warfare that goes along with it, it is spiritual battle. And not being properly undergirded by prayer. Prayer in the lives of those involved. Prayer as a team. And prayer in the broader supporting and sending constituency, praying for them. Uh, for protection and discernment and for God to work. And I would say another one is lack of understanding and appreciation for the local community, the, the adoptive community. Do we really understand these people? Do we want to? Can we speak positively about them? Or do we make negative comparisons about these people or they, us, that they, we, vocabulary. That's something to keep your ears open for. Growing and being able to understand the people that you serve is very, very important. Those might be some of the indicators mm-hmm. or some causes. Mm-hmm. So then practically speaking, people that are interested, say, in getting involved in this kind of work, what are some things they can do before they even start to avoid this negative outcome? Well, I look at the local church is being a greenhouse to help little plants get ready to be transplanted. And so to whatever degree, Reagan, that a potential church planter can be involved in his local church in a variety of ministries and of outreach can be a very good indicator. 
does the person on his own initiative work to reach out locally and to make local unchurched friends and to engage them in spiritual discussions and in getting toward Jesus and toward the Bible? Does he actually work at starting Bible discussions with people? Because when you move, you're just transporting your home from one place to another, and you're going to be the same person there that you were back home. A change of geography doesn't change you. So that can be a very good indicator, a very good preparation for a person in moving. And then also learning to develop a regular, faithful, meaningful devotional life and walk with the Lord. Because church planning is very much a spiritual exercise. It has its social and relational aspects to it, obviously. But apart from the direction and the empowering of the Spirit, it's not going to go anywhere. And so we really need people who have a connection with God where they are. Does that get at what you're asking? Is there something more there? Yeah, that's really good. That practical emphasis on taking some steps in preparation you know mm-hmm. a little a little work up front beforehand mm-hmm. sounds like it could save a lot of grief mm-hmm. down the road i would encourage too the the reading of uh, two uh, let's say three books that are really good on church planting one is planting churches that reproduce by joel comiskey a very basic introduction to church planting he was a missionary then came to the states and he knows what he's talking about Not that I would agree with everything in the book, but it's very helpful. Then if you want a very thorough uh, book, uh, it's thicker, but more complete. It's uh, Global Church Planting, Best Practices in Church Planting Worldwide, or something like that. And the author's last names are Ott, O-T-T, and Wilson. Very good book. Very good. And then one that's not quite as heavy is by... Uh, the author's last name is Payne. It's not a pain to read the book. P-A-Y-N-E, Introduction to Church Planting, The Hows, What's, Whys, and Where's of Church Planting, something like that. Very readable. And so one or more of those books can really help push out the walls of your box, of your understanding, and what church planting is like, whether it's here stateside or cross-cultural, either here in the States or Canada or in another country. That can be very useful to get a bigger picture of what church planting is about before you dive into it. And if you want to, come to Faith Builders every other year for two weeks in a course that I teach on church planting. Or come to Thailand in a course I teach every other year at IGO for three weeks on church planting. Or come each summer to a church planters retreat and forum in Pennsylvania at Penn Valley that Ernest Eby organizes in the month of June every year. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, like tapping into the community of people that have done this, people like Mm -hmm. yourself or Ernest. We've interviewed Ernest on this channel before. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that can be learned from you all's experience. You know, you all have spent time walking some of these things and younger people coming on can learn from those lessons. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) So one last 
question here, and we're going to switch this a little bit, but how do older churches, churches that have already been established for years or maybe even hmm. decades, how do they retain or in some cases regain the, the vision, um, you know, a vision for church planning and avoiding stagnation? Um, so pivoting the, the topic here just a little. Well, here's where I should give a big disclaimer, right? Because I have not pastored an older established church and helped lead it into planting another church. But as I thought about it, here are some things that came to my mind. I remember reading in one source, the older a church grows, the less likely it is to start another church, which is sort of a bleak way to start an answer to this question. And the younger a church is, the more likely it is to start another church. But really, what's at the root of this, Reagan, is what vision is in the heart of the leaders? Now, of course, an older church has more of a tradition, a momentum, a way of doing things. And adjusting that way of doing things takes more patience and more skillfulness because you're not doing things the way that they've always been done. But one of the things that I would suggest is if a person is in an older church and there is a vision for planting a church, whether you're a lay person or an ordained person, start praying. Pray for it persistently. It may take a year. It may take two. It may take five. But you start praying regularly, persistently, and at times include fasting. And ask God to open up eyes and to raise up people within the church that have the stirring for something new, something different. You can uh, find some good resources on church planning and give them as gifts to key people. Ask God to show you who, to whom to give a gift book like that. If you're not on the leadership team, you can give it to one of the pastors on the leadership team. If you are on the leadership team, you can give it to your fellow ministers or give it to some key lay leaders, key persons in the congregation. And pray for God to raise up within the church some people who have a specific calling to plant another church. And so Jesus uh, really connected the availability of workers to persistent prayer in Matthew 9. He says, look, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth workers into his harvest. I just finished reading a, a, a very good book called The Ripple Church. And I was going to bring it with me to show it to your viewers, and maybe we can find it afterwards and you can show it to them. But that writer was a pastor of established churches, and God used him. He's reflecting on his experience of starting other churches as a result of their church. And that brought a lot of helpful insight, too. And then when you have your prayer meetings or your testimony times and they ask, are there any prayer requests? Just pop up and say, why don't we pray that God will use our church to plant another church? Is there any rule against that? I don't think so. Pray. The Bible says you, ask, you have not because you, mm, you ask not. not. Yeah. So ask. Ask and it will be given. So pray that. Um, when you do send people out, you'll probably never feel ready. And uh, when churches do send people out, it helps a church to get out of a period of stagnation. It really rearranges how things operate and who are the ones that normally do what. 
and so on. So just the very act of planting another church can help a church to break out of a mode of stagnation. Another thing, this comes out of our own experience in our church in New York. Don't wait until everybody in the church is fully agreed with doing it. Now, I'm speaking from a leadership perspective. We tried first delegating the dream of planting another church to a committee of lay people. But in that committee, people were cycling in and out. And this, planting another church is a heavyweight issue that cannot be adequately addressed by lightweight experience and giftings and vision and people who are cycling in and out of a committee. So then we moved it from that committee to the leadership team and we kept working on it from the leadership team. But a mistake that we made, in my opinion, was on two occasions, several years apart, asking for a vote of the members for their approval to plant another church. And a majority said, no, we're too tired. We don't have enough people and so on and so on. What we should have done was as a leadership team, once we come to an agreement that yes, we are going to plant a church. Now, how do we work to prepare the church so that they are on board with this? And then instead of asking for their blessing or approval, we present to them the people who feel called, the various steps that have been taken to prepare. Would you be willing to bless these people as we send them out? And most people, if they're not the ones to go out themselves, they say, well, sure, we're glad. If they feel called, that's fine. Just don't ask me to do it. I'll be glad to pray, but don't ask me to do it. I'm too tired. I'm too old or I'm too busy or whatever it is. Uh, so that could be a way that's helpful. I think also if, if the leaders and if they would encourage lay people to go to events that talk about church planting, and we have some of them, several of them now within the conservative Anabaptist community, uh, that can be helpful for spreading the vision and they relate with people who are into it who are doing it, who are interested in it. Uh, vision is contagious. That can uh, be helpful as well. Those would be a few of the things that come to my mind with that question. That's really good. Very practical things people can try. Yeah, do you have anything else you would like to share? That was the last question I had on my list. Well, one of the reasons I think we don't have more people working in church planning, first of all, we don't talk much about it. Secondly, we assume that there are more people are churched in this country than really are. But third, we make assumptions about church planting that are at worst erroneous and at best unnecessary. For example, when we think church, we think of a building, we think of benches, we think of a pulpit, we think of Sunday school, we think of committees and songbooks and summer Bible school and all of this stuff. You know, most of that if not all of it, the early church did not have when they started churches. And when you begin to discover the church at its most basic unit would be several people meeting together regularly in the name of Jesus to do his business, pray, sing, read, teach, pray some more, eat together, help each other, witness, pray for the lost, pray for the sick, incorporate the needy care for the neighborhood. That's church. Without saying anything at all about buying a building or buying benches. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, little churches even existed before they had ordained leaders. Now, that's not ideal. But for example, when Paul was run out of town, 
and left for dead. Then he got up and he later on he circled back around to the church there in Acts 14 and they established leaders. So obviously they didn't have an established ordained leadership team when he was run out of town. Or when Paul wrote to Titus, he said, I want you to put in order the things that are lacking in all the churches there in Crete, and I want you to establish elders in every city. So that means that they didn't have ordained leadership yet. That's not ideal, but it does mean that the church, a church can begin to operate without um, a lot of things, a host of things that we think are absolutely necessary. So if we cut away our dependence on a building and these other things, many of our people could be used of God to plant baby churches, little churches, and most churches, even big ones, started out little. Mighty oaks from little acorns grow, but the acorn has to be planted. So in Acts 8, you see the Christians, they were persecuted and they just went everywhere. They ran for their lives. Did any of them say, are we being commissioned to run for our lives? Have we been sent out by the church to run for our lives? They just ran so they wouldn't be killed. And as they ran, though, they were doing this number. They were talking about Jesus everywhere they went. Where we are is where we share. They talked about him and some believed. And then they gathered them together, started caring for each other. And then the church sent leaders down there in Acts 8 to formalize things, to organize things. And that's how churches get started. That's really neat. I like that picture of the baby church concept, I guess, you, or however you would like to call it. That's, that's, that's pretty neat. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Alan. You're um, welcome. You, you've had a lot of experiences and, and um, yeah, there's things we can learn from these ideas. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast, or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.